You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. What's up, 26er family? Welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha. And before we get into this week's guest, I just want to let you know that just like everyone else in the country, we have suspended normal production of the show and are sheltering in place. So for the first time ever, we are conducting virtual interviews instead of the in-person conversations that we love so much. You know what that means. The sound quality of the show will be a bit different than what our regular listeners are used to. But COVID is not going to stop us from having those in-depth conversations that we've become known for. So we hope you'll continue to rock with us. But more importantly, we hope you are staying safe and healthy. Now that we got that out of the way, this episode features DJ DiBiase, also known as the Million Dollar DJ. DJ DiBiase is a renowned DJ and producer who now resides in Miami, but brings his Atlanta influences to the music scene across the world. He developed an interest in DJing and started working on his craft before he even had DJ equipment. Before long, DJ DiBiase was passing out mix CDs to his high school classmates and taking his skills to the next level after purchasing some used turntables from an acquaintance. During his college years, DJ DiBiase was DJing parties, which led to opportunities at local lounges, and before long, his tight sets were catching the attention of well-known venues and celebs. DJ DiBiase has never stopped growing. He's played at major hotels, in some of the biggest stadiums and festivals across the world and has toured with industry elites such as Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, Talib Kweli, and Big Crit. When he isn't on stage, you can find him curating music for such brands as Adidas, W Hotels, and Sprite. And like a true 26er, DJ DiBiase is now expanding his brand beyond the music. Listen, we all know that turning your passions into a full-time career is not easy, but DJ DiBiase's story is a reminder that it is not impossible. So without further ado, take a listen and enjoy. DJ DiBiase, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I'm feeling good today. How are you? Good. Thanks for being here. No problem. Thank you for having me. So we're getting used to this whole virtual setup. As many people know, if they listen to the show regularly, that we are really passionate about in-person energy uh, interviews and being able to feel that energy of being in the same uh, room as other people. But of course, we're sheltering in place like the rest of the nation. So we've switched to this virtual setup uh, and trying to make it happen as well. So you're our official first uh, guest over the internet, and we're happy to have you. Happy to be here. Thank you. Awesome. So let's jump into it. Who is DJ DiBiase? DJ DiBiase is the million dollar DJ. Uh, that's my moniker. That's my tagline. That's uh, what I go by. But over the years and through the years, I've started to really kind of refer to myself as a Renaissance man, you know, jack of all trades, uh, many interests, and uh, like to kind of fuse them all together into the DiBiase brand just to, uh, you know, continue to make a name for myself in this in this industry. For sure. So you have to tell me, where does the name DiBiase come from? Well, from being a kid, you know, sitting in front of that TV Saturday mornings, you know, I wasn't watching cartoons like everybody else. So I was into the WWF, Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage and everything like that. And there was a restaurant there named the Million Dollar Man to DiBiase. And, um, you know, his whole gimmick was, you know, he's about the money and he's made his own belt instead of uh, actually... Uh, competing for the actual belt. So, um, you know, taking this whole mindset when I was a kid, I remember we were at a restaurant with my family um, and, you know, people leave tip money on the table uh, for the for the waiter. Um, me being four or five years old, walked over to the t- to the table and took the tip money and brought it back to my mom. And so here, you know, I got the money for you. And uh, I think my uncle or something said, boy, you think you really Ted DiBiase, that's who you think you are. And uh, as time went along, 
um, when I had to figure out a DJ name, I was like, you know what? I think that fits me even still through all these years. So that's what I picked. Awesome. So what got you interested in DJ? Uh, really having a love for music, um, obviously, but not just having a love for music because anybody can have a love for music, but, you know, playing music for people, putting uh, people onto certain music, certain vibes. And um, especially when I was younger, you know, taking the aux cord from the uh, tape uh, adapter, putting it into my portable CD player and playing the music for the car or uh, always being on the bus with my headphones on, listening to a CD and picking what CD was going to fit the mood for the day because you couldn't just bring all your CDs with you on the bus. You have to, you know, decide what you wanted to listen to. And it's kind of, you know, curating. We didn't know what that word was at the time, but curating the vibe. And um, as I got older, listening to the radio, I would listen to the radio at night, be one of three and listen to DJs like DJ Jelly or Frank Ski, Greg Street, hearing them mix the nine o'clock mid shows and as soon as one record ended, the next one began and it was like a very fluid transitions and everything like that. And I found out that was what DJing was. And I was like, you know what? I want to do that. And uh, went ahead and studied it and read up on it and um, figured out who the godfathers were of the game. And uh, that's what I became. So how did you get started and at what age of actually practicing the art of DJing? I would say about... 14, 15, like high school, you know, I was always into music, you know, singing the, you know, the children's choir, even back in church, you know, being super young and then going to uh, middle school, high school, being in the percussion drum line and everything like that. So, um, you know, music was always around, like actually having, being hands on with music. So, but 10th grade is when I actually really started to take DJing seriously and figuring out that something I really wanted to do. And I will go up to Guitar Center as a kid and on the weekends and just be up there for hours and hours just messing around with the equipment because I don't, couldn't afford mine at the time. And, um, you know, that's really what I was doing throughout high school until I can afford my own equipment. That's when you know you really have a passion for something, when you don't even have the resources at home to actually pursue that passion and hone the skill. But you have where there's a will, there's a way. And wherever you can find a means to try to to perfect your craft, you're going to do it. Definitely. I, I, nothing was going to stop me. It was like all I cared about at that time. And, you know, when you're younger, you don't have anything really else to really worry about. So you you know, you look at anybody that's really a great musician, it all kind of starts off when you're in those formidable years because you have all the time in the world to really devote. And, and athletes, whatever, you know, you have that time to really dive into that. So I'm definitely one of those. Mm -hmm. So you, uh, your connection to the show through, like a lot of people, is through DeMarcus, uh, producer extraordinaire of the December 26th podcast. And how do you both know each other? Uh, DeMarcus and I went to high school together. Um, I, I was a new kid at this uh, school my senior year. So my, I went to the same school all my years coming from New Jersey, came down to Atlanta, the north side of Atlanta. And my senior year, we had to, uh, my mom and I had to move to a new apartment complex. And we zoned us to this school called Northview High School, which was a uh, like a rich, you know, upper class kind of school. So it was like a culture shock for me a little bit. And, um, you know, being one of the few black kids that was actually in the school, you know, DeMarcus was one of them too as well. So, you know, it's like all the black kids could literally sit at one lunch table, you know, during lunch. And, uh, you know, it was like a real kind of camaraderie and, you know, we all hung out with each other and everything like that. So, um, you know, DeMarcus was somebody who I knew just from passing my CDs out through the school and, um, you know, giving them to a lot of these kids to drive. So they had CD players and stuff like that. So, giving him my mix CDs and uh, he was one of them that I'll give my mix CD to. And, you know, he was on the football team. So we had all the 
you know, football guys uh, jamming to it too as well. So it was a good time. So were you actually DJing back then or were you just making mix mixtapes effectively at that time? A little bit of both. Kind of start. I actually got my first set of turntables from one of Demarcus's teammates. Um, I think his name was his last name was Whitehurst. He was his brother actually played in the NFL and played for uh, Clemson too as well. Um, but he was like a big offensive lineman. And from passing those CDs around, the world got around that I'm a DJ. And so he hit me up. He was like, "Hey, I got these turntables that my parents got me. I don't use them anymore. Um, you want them?" I was like, "Yeah, how much?" He's like, "Just name the price." I was like. You know, I had my job at Pizza Hut at the time, so I was like, I got a hundred bucks. He's like, yeah, you got them. And so I came and picked them up and I was two turntables, a mixer. I was excited. And um, so that was like in the middle of that school year. So by the end of the school year, I remember DJing um, like a prom after party uh, that May. And so that was like my first real like official set. So I guess you can say that's the first time I actually DJed four people, you know. Mm hmm. So I, you know, Demarcus and my mom, I was already out of the house when they moved to Georgia. And so he had a very different high school experience than than I did uh, from, I guess, 10th grade on. So I went to the high school that he first attended, which was much more diverse. But I do have the experience pre-high school of those sort of upper crust blue ribbon schools where everybody's driving fly vehicles and, you know, they, they, they have everything they could ever possibly want. And you sort of gravitate to the people who look like you as well. And, but also one of the things with those schools is there's Uh-oh. an expectation that you are going to no matter what, right. You're going to pursue some lucrative professional, traditional career and that's it. Um, but you knew that you wanted to be a DJ. That, that's what you wanted to be successful at. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely something that um, was kind of tangible for me, too, as well, because even with my mother, she actually worked on the radio station. She was a mm. news reporter um, for V103 and WAFK in Atlanta. So um, I would go up to the station and see people like, you know, Tyrese and as a kid and, you know, whoever those 2000 stars were, you know what I mean? And that was kind of like my little first taste of the industry. And uh, she would sneak home vinyl from me, from like the mail room and stuff. And she didn't know what she was picking up. She just picked anything up and, you know, I would go through it and everything. So it was really kind of like something I could see myself doing as far as it being something that some everybody else saw me being able to do. No, because uh, it just wasn't a real, a real job really at that time. You know what I mean? So, um, so but for me, it was definitely real. And uh, I didn't have a backup plan or a plan B or this doesn't work out. I'm going to do this. Uh, ha- not having that backup plan or safety net is really what, you know, propelled me to, you know, really go harder and to, uh, you know, realize, hey, it's either all of this or nothing. You know, I had to had to make it happen. Mm-hmm. So post high school graduation, what did your working situation look like? Did you still say, OK, I'm going to go to school um, or were you literally just hustling whatever jobs you can get and doing the DJ thing? Uh, well, DJ and kind of really took a back seat. Um, at that time, I got into Florida A&M University, which is a school I wanted to go to. And, um, you know, when I got that tuition bill for out-of-state private tuition, I was like, yeah, it's probably not going to be happening. Mm-hmm. And um, so I went to a JUCO in Atlanta. And um, in the midst of that, was still working. I ended up, you know, becoming a, a bartender at this country club all the way up in North Georgia. And I was making, like, really good money for you know, my age and everything like that. So um, I was able to, you know, buy a new car and everything like that and started to really kind of go more downtown and, you know, meet people and stuff. But here I am, 19 years old. And, you know, this is, you know, these are 21 up clubs I'm 
trying to get into or whatever. But, you know, I always say just kind of be, I tell, because a lot of people ask me for advice, especially younger DJs, like, hey, I want to DJ here. I want to do this. I'm just, I tell them, be wherever you want to be, be around it, you know, always be near it because you're going to get some of that residual, you know, dust. It's going to get on you and you're going to be in the right place at the right time and you're going to get an opportunity. But, um, you know, like I said, bartending was really the main thing I was doing uh, to uh, provide income for myself. But, you know, really probably maybe after two or three years, I ended up quitting that and was all all DJing after that. So at the two or three year mark, when you decide, all right, I'm going to give up bartending and like be clear, bartending at a country club, that's yeah. real money. That That is different than just like working at Applebee's as a bartender, right? So I'm sure you were comfortable. Um, but where was your DJing career when you decided, all right, I'm going to give up stability over here and just jump into this with both uh well i mean it was kind of like um because the thing with working at a country club anybody that's familiar with golf it's seasonal you know mm-hmm. so once it starts getting cold outside no one's up there so when it's you know spring summer you know fall you know you're seeing michael jordan come in there you're seeing sam jackson you're seeing all these politicians you're seeing a lot of that bourgeoisie you know not of just georgia but of everywhere and you know but once like right after the Christmas parties, holiday parties, it's a wrap. So, you know, I would have these months like January, February, especially where it was super dead. And, you know, I was able to just to just focus on DJing. And when it came time, they called me back and said, hey, you know, starting season is going to start up next week. And I said, yeah, I think I'm good. I think I'm going to not come up there anymore and do that. And um, I didn't have a whole bunch of money. Like, okay, I, I hit this amount of money or whatever. I was just tired of working a gig, getting home at four or five o'clock and driving up to Cherokee County, which, you know, I was living downtown at the time, driving up to Cherokee County, which is like an hour and a half away. So I had to get up like at six o'clock just to get there by 7.30 or eight to start setting stuff up or whatever the case may be. I, I, I just wasn't allowing myself to do that anymore. So it became like more of a decision rather than, oh, I'm comfortable to leave now. You know what I mean? So what kinds of events or venues were you playing at that point when you decided to to leave the country club gig? Well, I was, you know, even though I wasn't um, going to school like that anymore, I was doing a lot of college parties. So mm-hmm. a lot of underground parties that weren't necessarily like the big, um, you know, aging and up clubs, because they used to have mega clubs back in the days that could fit like thousands and thousands of people in them. So I was doing kind of like parties in Little Five Points in Atlanta. And a lot of the Georgia State kids was really my demographic, you know, and Georgia State's kind of like a knockoff HBCU. It graduates the most, you know, black uh, students, I believe, in the country. That's the non-HBCU. So, you know, this is like around the time when Drake first came out, when So Far Gone first came out. And that's some that's, that's the type of music that you wouldn't really hear on the radio at that time when Drake first came out. Because no one didn't, is he R&B? Is he rap? You know, is he this? Is he that? He's from Canada. But I would play that kind of music. So the parties I was doing were kind of like in that same vein. Wiz Khalifa. Um, Anything that was kind of in that kind of vein, I was doing. So it wasn't necessarily clubs. It was really more like events um, for like Georgia State kids is what I was doing, 18 and up parties. Okay. So you have these college events. You said you didn't have a lot of money when you walked away um, from your day job. Was there any fear? Yeah, because, um, you know, I had a situation arise and, um, you know, kind of like a rug got pulled from under me. And I had to, uh, you know, that fight or flight really kind of hit me. I had a situation where I had to leave the spot I was living at. You know, I had a really nice spot and everything like that. But, um, you know, I had a roommate situation at the time, like 21 or whatever the case may be. Being a DJ, you don't really have, um, you know, this 
even though you make money, a lot of it is cash. It's not something you can prove on paper. So when you're trying to get your own spot or whatever the case may be, they're looking at you like, uh, I think we're going to go with the, you know, the person that works at this office or has a really professional career, whatever the case may be. So, you know, I had to leave. So I ended up moving in with like 13 other people. In 13? This, yeah. And it's uh, one way in, one way out in this place called the Metropolitan Lofts in um, Atlanta, which is in the West End off Metropolitan. And, you know, it's a really well-known as far as in the artist community. A lot of props get made there. Um, a lot of old school cars get restored there. A lot of bootlegging and other stuff happens there too as well. I mean, it's like a real notorious, it's, I think it's kind of gentrified now, but this is like 2008, 2009. And at that time, uh, maybe like 2011, actually. Uh, at that time, you know, everybody was in a deep recession and everything like that. Um, Obama years were still kind of new and everything like that. So, um, you know, 13 other people I had to do what I had to do. You know, one bathroom, you know, if a fire happened, it was a wrap because there was really no way to get out of there. It was literally all concrete walls and everything like that. But being there and being uncomfortable like that is what propelled me to really go harder, even harder than what I was doing before. I thought I was going hard before, but I wasn't. So what does that look like? Because I know a lot of times I talk to a ton, ton of dreamers, especially, you know, doing this show. Um, and one of the things that separates those who really turn a passion into something that is profitable and a full time career from those who are just wishing and hoping are the people who are willing to go harder. Right. Because oftentimes you get a little bit of notoriety. And I've had this in my own life, too, where like you get a couple of big gigs or something that where you could see a little bit of light and you think, oh, this is it like this. I'm reaching a tipping point. And then when it doesn't happen, sometimes it's the, the psychology of that can weigh on you. And you feel like, man, it's not happening for me, um, even though I've done X, Y, and Z and I'm investing in it this way and I'm putting my faith in this. But it is often a requirement, even when it is uncomfortable, to go harder. So instead of wallowing in that discomfort, um, it, you got to say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forge ahead in spite of these circumstances. So what did that look like for you? You're living in these lofts, um, one bathroom, that whole situation. You're, you're playing things, you're getting gigs, but clearly it's, it's not enough to get you in a situation where you feel like you can breathe easy. So what did Go Hard look like? Go Hard just really forced me to become more creative and where my, you know, events cap and like, okay, I need to actually connect with people who are coming to these events instead of just being the DJ in the back. Like start developing my contact list, start, start developing my email list and everything like that. So when I do have an event of my own, I have a network of people that will come and spend money or whatever the case may be. And, um, you know, that's a real hard thing, a real steep hill you're looking at, a real steep mountain, really, when you're at the bottom. But I advise everybody to control your own audience. You know what I mean? Like, don't rely on Instagram. Don't, because whatever Instagram shuts down or whatever platform you use, there goes your whole audience. You don't have any contact information on them. You don't have a phone number. You don't have an email. You don't have an address, anything. If you, if you just put all your eggs in one basket like that. So, you know, even this time, this is like pre-Instagram time. You had to do that face-to-face. -face. You're still getting people's numbers, still passing out business cards and things like that. I was still making mistakes, just like I was in high school. And that's how I got my name out of high school. So I was still doing the same thing on the street. And I was still, um, you know, balancing online presence with real-life presence, too, as well. Um, but yeah, just it just it just turned up the hustle a lot more. This even guess what what I was the hunger like I had back in high school. You know what I mean? I've talked about before. Mm -hmm. It just transitioned into adulthood. So what was the next phase after you got through? You know, you're doing the college the underground parties and stuff. What was the next level for you? Um, doing more lounges. So um, Peter Street in Atlanta, which is a real like 
hub for entertainers, um, people that are in the industry. You know, it's just a very HBCU uh, students and everything like that's right around the corner from um, you know all the schools and everything. I started getting residencies over there, and that's what really got my name up with like the big dogs. People in the industry knew who I was, and were starting to come through and check me out. And if you want to hear new music, I wasn't playing the regular playlist like everyone else was playing. That's what people were attracted to about me, and um, that kind of forced me to figure out, okay, I got to do. You know, if I'm here twice a week. It's not like doing a monthly or every other month, like other things. I have to carry myself a certain way. I have to brand myself a certain way and things like that. And that kind of led to my name getting out to a point where, you know, now the hotels are starting to call me and I'm starting to do the W Hotel on Friday nights. And, you know, this spot is calling me because I'm doing the W and it's just a chain reaction. You know what I mean? It's just a chain reaction um, with how things work. That's why I always tell people just always keep working. Even don't focus on the gig that you're doing now. Because you don't know who's going to be at that gig that could take you to another place. Absolutely, you know, I got a good story about that later. All right, cool. Let's put let's put a pin in that for sure. Um, but one of the things that I think people struggle with too, especially in our communities, when those opportunities start to come, not knowing their value. So you know, you get something that comes to you, and people are like, "Okay, what's your what's your rate? Uh, you know, what are you charging us here? Did you have any mentorship there, or were you just trying to figure it out, or taking whatever they they offered?" Okay, so I actually had a manager. So on those in those years, especially when I was like just getting out of the country club and really actually while I was in the country club working still and had that extra money and everything, I had a manager mm. um, during all those times. Uh, my man Ian Ford, who was still you know a good friend of mine, and um, so he was handling all the business for me, so I could focusly focus just solely focus on DJing. And then me and him kind of had a disagreement about stuff and you know i don't have that residual income from bartending so now i'm getting a little bit more antsy hey where's the gigs at and everything and you know when you're with somebody from the very beginning and you start to ascend and stuff like that things just naturally will will turn to uh start to turn sour so i had to be the manager for myself at that point i had to go in and broker deals i had to go in and tell people my rate and um or and negotiate for myself so that's something i had to learn to do on my own that wasn't something that he taught me how to do it and i just took it and applied it i literally had to figure out how to do it on my own and um you know that's something that i advise everybody to kind of be comfortable know how to negotiate know how to set a price high so have your have your real price but go above that okay ask for that first so that even if you need to drop you're dropping closer to what you were really going to do it for in the first place. Little tricks like that, you mm-hmm. know, negotiating tactics and stuff that I had to learn on my own instead of just asking for what I think is right and then having to go lower than that and either saying yes to it, but yes with like a rolling your eyes at the same time or having to say no to it. And then now you're losing out on money, period. Right. And which is, which is always a bad thing. And also I'm a firm believer that while there are some clients or organizations that are willing to just pay whatever you you put on the table. If somebody says okay a little bit too quickly, I start to question. You know, did I price myself a little too low? There's no negotiation here. People yeah. are just like, great. You know, where do we sign? So I'm I'm a big, especially lawyering by day. I'm a big fan of starting high, but knowing where you know your floor is and and working your way to that, as opposed to starting with that number. So that's that's excellent advice for sure. Definitely. Um. So you got to the point where you started doing not just um hotel gigs, well-known hotels, but also festivals and, and things like that. So how did that happen? Really just um, 
like everything leads to something else. So even doing, especially the W Hotel gigs I was doing, I used to do Friday nights at the W, which was like a Hollywood, Hollywood hangout. Um, I was always known to do like the cool parties in Atlanta that weren't on the radio. You had to know, you had to know, you had to know somebody at the door to get in. You had to know where it was, you know what I mean? Just because it's at the W doesn't mean it's going to be right there in the lobby. You got to know where to go in the W to get to it. And people like that. People like the exclusivity. People like that feeling special like that. So a lot of the times, you know, I'll be brought into certain situations, whether it be, hey, we got this festival. We want the look that you have at the W. Bring it over here. Or um, we're doing this festival, whatever the case may be. So, you know, the One Music Fest is a big festival nationwide now, but I did the very first One Music Fest ever um, years ago when I was just in a parking lot. And um, shout out to Jay Carter, you know, who's turning into a, an excellent brand that's more than just, you know, a, a festival. But, you know, they really do a great job of capturing, capturing the Black experience um, and not just from a music aspect, but from fashion to, you know, um, knowledge and politics and everything like that. So, you know, whether it be them or Art Beats and Lyrics, you know, which is an amazing Black art exhibit, traveling art exhibit that um, goes throughout the country. Um you know, one of my favorite gigs I've ever done was at the Andrew Mellon Auditorium in D.C., DJing in a, such a prestigious place like that, playing, you know, Gucci Man records and stuff like that at this, you know, prestigious place like this. Uh, Kendrick Lamar's first concert on the East Coast was there uh, at that same show. So doing a lot of these festivals uh, really you know, was thanks to just what I was doing in the club scene and the party scene in Atlanta. So you have this growth happening. Were you still hungry for more? Yeah, I'm a true hustler, so you're never satisfied. I'm a hustler and I'm a gambler. So, um, you know, just like when you're at the table playing 21 or whatever the case may be, and you might hit real good on a on a hand and you say, okay, I'm going to leave now. And even though you won, you feel like you could have won some more or whatever the case may be. Um, it's the same thing with hustling. You know, you always want to get, you always feel like you could have got more. You always feel like you can obtain more. And um, I'm always looking up. I'm never looking back at what I did. I always tell people, you know, because I mentor a lot of younger DJs and things like that. I always say, you know, you know, there's a reason why when you're driving a car, the front window is so big and the rear view mirror is so small. You know, it's more important about where you're going instead of where you've been. You know, I always tell people don't start to write the book too early. Don't write your biography too early. You still are writing it. You're not even at chapter six yet. You know what I'm saying? This is a 35 chapter book and you always, you're over here trying to write the book already, like live, live it first, you know, shoot the movie first before you start to premiere it. You know what I mean? So I always have that mentality, but as I've gotten older, I've learned this, it's important to not let your history be a mystery. Do things like this, do interviews, you know, tell people about things because stuff that might be every day, whatever to me could be life changing advice for somebody else. Or, you know, it's not about what happens. It's about how you react to it. Mm-hmm. So if I can tell somebody, hey, this is what happened to me. This is my reaction to it and let me down this path, which was bad for me. I want you to learn from that or vice versa. This is my reaction to this. And this is how I got that. That's why you know me, you know. So I always tell people to keep that hunger, keep that hustle going, because especially in our game, it's not a it's not an old man's game, even though, you know, I'm, people still say I'm young being 31, 32 years old now. You know, there's DJs I have get on Instagram this five-year-old DJs, you know what I'm saying? Scratching and stuff like that. So, you know, I always say, uh, make sure you flip your hustles. Don't just think you're one-dimensional just because you're a DJ. People like you for you. There's tons of DJs. People are attracted to you for a reason. So if you have something else that you're into, if you like to do yoga, if you're into books, if you're whatever, learn how to parlay that stuff into something else utilizing your brand. So I definitely want to get into how you've parlayed 
Um, but before we do, I want to go back to the story that you alluded to earlier about you never know who's watching or how things might transpire. So tell us about that story. Definitely. So, um, you know, one night I was DJing at this very, very exclusive club called Vanquish in Atlanta. Um, uh, trying to think of the year, maybe like 2013 or something like that. So I'm DJing at this club and uh, it's a Thursday night, you know, crowd was kind of doing whatever. I was just in my own vibe. I think I was playing like just a real good 90s R&B set. And um, a guy with a hood walks up. He's jamming to what I'm doing. He's like, hey, brother, um, I look over. It's Tyrese. But like I said, being in that realm for my mom, you know, I already met Tyrese when I was like 10 years old. Mm-hmm. So I don't ever get starstruck with quote-unquote celebrities. I could literally care less. You know what I'm saying? I get starstruck with like the most randomest, most random things, but not celebrities ever. So I said, hey, what's up? I just kept it moving. Say, hey, man, you know, I'm Tyrese. I'm like, yeah, you know, I know. Good to meet you. And he's like, um, you know, I really like what you're doing right now. And, you know, can I... He's like, can I get your number? I'm like, in the middle of a mix, I'm like, yeah, hold on. I'm telling, I'm telling him to hold on. And um, I just think he kind of respected that, that I wasn't on him so heavy like that. as Because he had a hood on, he wasn't trying to get noticed or anything like that. And so I gave him my number, said it's 2013, and that was it. Didn't go home, calling my mom about it or anything. It just was another night. Two years later, on a Sunday morning, about 10.30 in the morning, he calls me, or I get a call from an L.A. number. I have a rule. If it's a New York number or LA number, I'll pick up because that means it's some money. You know what I mean? (laughs) I'm with you there. (laughs) Yeah. So anybody else going straight to voicemail if I don't have you saved. But it was an LA number. So I picked it up. And for some reason, I had a feeling it was him. I don't know why, but I picked it up. He's like, hey, bro. He's like, you know what this is? I'm like, who is this? He's like, it's Tyrese. I met you. He told me the story about how he met me. He said, bro, I was in the club. I didn't want to go. I hate going to clubs, but you made my night that night. And... I have, I'm having a, um, a poetry night at my house tonight in Atlanta because he was shooting something in Atlanta. And I was like, I want you to come DJ. And, you know, I already had another gig at that point. Mm-hmm. I, had a, I had a residency that I was already doing on Saturday nights. So I was in the middle of a party when he called me, my brunch event. And um, so I had to think, OK, do I just do what I've been regularly been doing or do I go ahead and take this chance? Because I never know where this might lead to. So I gave some BS excuse to the other place um, that I couldn't DJ for them. I did that party for Tyrese that night and everyone was there, like Fast and Furious people, you know, uh, industry people, every, everybody. And I did a great job. And he um, dubbed me his DJ, he introduced me to everybody. So he was the best DJ ever right here. His name is DiBiase. And, you know, so it's a, it was erotic poetry night, so it's all women. Mm-hmm. And um, from there on, I DJed his wedding his, his, uh, to his wife and everything. A couple of years ago on Valentine's Day, he's flown me out to L.A. to DJ rap parties for Fast and Furious or whatever, Transformers, whatever movie um, they got going on. And so to this day, he'll, he always is a last minute kind of guy. He'll hit me up like right now. Hey, can you get here at six o'clock? I'll fly you out. You know, I'm like, dude, you got to give me some notice. I can't just move like that. You know what I mean? But, you know, he's a lot of people view him for what they see on TMZ or whatever the case may be. And some of that stuff is self-inflicted, of course. But I've been around a lot of people. And one thing I will say about celebrities, however you see them through that TV or that phone is the exact opposite of who they are a lot of times in real life, good or bad. Someone might be super righteous and everything like that on that TV or that phone. And you get around them and it'd be totally the opposite. And I've never, you know, as far as everyone I've met from somebody that can be a total has every right to be a a jerk or whatever the case may be, or 
you know, I'm an A-list celebrity, so this, that, and the third. It's always been upfront, always been real, you know, talk on the phone, whatever. And, you know, definitely been somebody I've learned from too as well. So if I didn't do that gig or if, if I didn't, if I didn't say, uh, um, if I didn't take that gig that Thursday night or if I felt like, you know, I should be closing instead of opening or whatever the case may be, that situation wouldn't happen. You know, I always just tell people to keep in the mix because you never know where it's going to, where it's going to end, end uh, have you end up. Absolutely. And further, you never know when somebody's going to remember you, right? Sometimes you trade information and you're like, I don't know, nothing came with it. And it can be one, two, three, four years later where you have this full circle moment. Um, and people say, oh, dude that I met, you know, back in 2013 or 2014, let me let me holler at him as well, which is also why I don't believe in burning bridges. Because <laughs> you just never know, you know, when something's going to come, come back around. Um, but tell me a little bit about Coalition DJs. A coalition was a group that I was actually part of um, for, you know, we're, we're still kind of talking about like the early or mid 2000s at this mid 2010s at this point. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, like I said, I had a reputation for breaking DJs and I mean, breaking the artists and music and taking those risks in the club. So coalition was a coalition of DJs started off with um, four DJs in the strip clubs of Atlanta that you know, strip club DJing in Atlanta is totally different than it, than it is anywhere else. That's where artists will literally come. It doesn't matter who it is. It could be your local hood artist to Usher. Just got done with the record from the studio straight to the strip club. Not to get dances or anything like that, but to literally play this song in the club to see if girls are going to uh, wiggle to it. So for me, I was doing that kind of DJing, but in regular spots and lounges, which was kind of unheard of at the time. So the word got out about that and I got inducted in and um, was able to connect with a lot of DJs, also connect with a lot of artists too. A lot of these plaques you see on my wall are from Coalition, from Future, from 2 Chainz, Richard McQuan, um, a lot of different artists that really show direct one-on-one appreciation from the DJs. And I was able to meet a lot of uh, artists through that time from artists from back in the day to seeing a young Travis Scott to, you know, anybody that you can name in the urban uh, music scene. Um, you know, Coalition, I, I give them all. Thanks for elevating my career outside of just being a club DJ to actually working in studios and working one-on-one with artists and directly with them. So, you know, now that I moved down to Miami, I'm not as um, hands-on with them anymore, but, you know, I still got love for the for the family and, you know, a lot of what... Um, of my career to to coalition and my experience with them. Mm-hmm. So speaking of working one-on-one with artists, you were the tour DJ for, or selected as the tour DJ for Def Jam recording artist Big Crit. How did that come about? Playing music, uh, playing his music in the club and people knowing that, like I said, it all just came from taking risk and, and not being a carbon copy of everyone else. So um, his very first show after he got signed to Def Jam, I was the show DJ for that concert. So basically in between the acts, I was a, you know, DJ that was keeping the crowd, you know, excited between um, before he came out. So he had another DJ at the time, uh, Wally Sparks. And um, I got a call probably like at 2 a.m. on a Thursday from his management at the time saying, hey, you know, this is such and such. Johnny Sipes, um, you know, manager for Big Crit. Um, We have this tour coming up. This is 2013. We have this tour coming up with um, Macklemore and we're looking for, you know, a new DJ, um, somebody, you know, that's younger, whatever the case may be to uh, fill the spot. And we also, we have asked everybody who would be the best option and everyone said you. So we're coming to you. And, um, you know, I just, I didn't want to be, show my hand or anything. So I said, I'll, I'll 
think about it. <laughs> and um, I called my boy <laughs> at the time who was touring with, uh, I think, Waka at the time, drummer for Waka Flocka. And I was like, hey, man, you think I should do this? <laughs> he was like, what? Like, what do you want to stay in Atlanta for the rest of your life? I'm like, yeah, you need to go do this. So I called him back and I'm like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> and um, they told me it was Macklemore. I didn't know who Macklemore was at the time, but I got the tour uh, schedule and I found out real quick who Mark Macklemore mm-hmm. was because it was not little clubs or anything like that. It was, you know, American Airlines Arena, Madison Square Garden, Staples Center, big, big arenas. And, um, you know, I'm, I love sports, of course, so that I grew up watching games and stuff and events happen in these places. So that was a crazy experience as my first real kind of like uh, tour recruit um, doing stuff on that of that magnitude, being on the stage that big, even though we were the opening act, it still was a great experience, something I always re- remember. So you've had your challenges, of course, you talked about early on, having the rug pulled out from under you, having to move, um, but you've had a pretty steady upward trajectory um, in your career, getting opportunities that most creatives would dream of, let, let alone DJs, but creatives in general, being able to, to be in this space 100%. But tell me about a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. So Lyft was the Lyft, as we know now, was having a launch event. They were a brand new competitor to Uber at that point, and no one knew where they were. So I got asked to do this, um, the, the, the launch party um, for Lyft in Atlanta. I don't know. Somehow or another, I got some kind of spider bite on my hand. And my hand looked like if you take like a, you know how these gloves they got us wearing now? Yes. If you filled that with water and just how it like gets real round in the middle, where like where your actual hand is and the fingers mm-hmm. start to get fat. That's what my hand looked like. Okay. So I had to bring all my own equipment to this gig, set up everything, break everything down. Being a DJ isn't like another job where you can say, hey, I'm sick. Um, right. I, I like to use some of my uh, PTO or whatever, my sick days for this. If you don't do the gig, you don't get the money. Okay. So, and that was just gig one of the night. The second gig was the same gig I was telling you about where I ended up meeting Tyrese. This was mm-hmm. on another night, of course, but the same night. So I had to do this one gig first and do do this other gig second. So literally I'm doing a six o'clock at night to two in the morning. Okay. With my hand feeling like it's about to explode. Okay. From, from this spider bite. And these are two important gigs to me and everything like that. And I just had to suck it up and make it happen. DJ with one hand, you know, not shaking people's hand with my, my other hand, trying to hide it so people don't get freaked out and everything like that. And still, show people a good time, even though I'm, I'm in pain. And uh, as soon as I got done with that last gig, I went straight to the uh, to the ER and uh, got seen about and ended up being okay. But uh, but yeah, I had to be super extraordinary that night for sure. And that's when you know you're a real DJ, when you need both hands to actually do it. Right. I was up there with one hand, so trying to make it happen. Absolutely. Um, so you... Have you mentioned a brand in, in Lyft, but you've become a music curator uh, for a number of brands. What does that mean? So even working with like the W Hotel, the W has their own brand. So they want a certain aesthetic and a vibe um, when you when you walk up into their hotels or their brands. Um, so I, I still have a residency with the W, but, you know, it's it's kind of you can sit there and put a playlist together. Um, somebody in management can put a playlist together and just hit play on it, but it's not going to connect with those people. As a DJ, um, when you are selected by these brands, they are wanting you to pretty much curate a live playlist by who you see in the room. So say you walk in, I'm going to say, okay, you know, I might play from sort some Solange for her, or I might play some of this for her, or whatever the case may be. I see Demarcus walking out. I was like, okay, let me throw in a little Jay-Z. Let me throw in a little 
um, you know, maybe a Lil Wayne or whatever the case may be, that I might see another person walk walk in. I'm like, I have to literally read their mind. Sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong. Mm-hmm. But you just have to kind of, you know, it's almost kind of like just figuring out, you, get, you have the ingredients, but now you just want to make the right cake. You know right. what I'm saying? And anybody can have the ingredients. We can all go to the store and get all the ingredients that we can. We can, we can take the whole grocery store home. Doesn't mean that you can cook a good meal. You know, you have to know how to use the ingredients, not to use too much. Let me not do too much Jay-Z because it might turn the room a certain type of way. Let me not use too much of this because it might give, you know, it might be overpowering. So people won't appreciate it as much. You know, even though cayenne pepper is nice to put on some some chicken, but if you put the whole bottle of cayenne pepper on it, you're going to be choking. Right. You know what I mean? So whether it be the W, Jack Daniels, Smirnoff, whatever, when I do these events for them, that's what they're looking for. And that's what I provide. Awesome. So I want to talk about the pandemic a little bit, because as we know, the the whole world has basically come to a screeching halt. If you are not an essential worker, most of us are home. Um, And that has taken a real strain on the entertainment business, the events industry, um, all the things that you do. And I know a lot of folks who work in these um, in these fields are tapped financially because who would expect something like this to happen. So how have you been able, because, well, first of all, you have a calm demeanor and calm demeanor in general, so you don't really seem stressed, but how have you been able to navigate this, um, especially when we don't know when it's going to be over? Honestly, um, you know, I was prepared for this, Mm -hmm. not necessarily a a pandemic, but, you know, um, I live in Miami now, so I've been rebranding myself once I moved down here a year ago and you know, a lot of people are already locked into wherever they've been DJing for the past 10 years, whatever, and being a new person trying to get in and take some time. So I always had to kind of maintain my online branding and image and connecting with, you know, I don't like to call them followers. I like to call them fans because when you when you say fans, you it gets you in a certain mindset of like, okay, if this is my fan, I need to deliver a certain product to them mm-hmm. instead of saying these are just my followers. So with my fans, whether it be on IG uh, Facebook, Twitter, whatever the case may be. I've always been engaging with them, always, you know, asking them questions, always engaging in comments and things like that. So sometimes, um, you know, it's good to kind of plant those seeds early on because when something like this happens, when the water is turned off, my stuff has still been growing. So, of course, you've seen everyone and their mother DJing on Instagram Live, you know, the past month. And, you know, I never got on Instagram Live. I never thought it was something to do, but then I did it for one night. and. Um, you know, I threw my cash up up there and everything like that. And uh, I wasn't up there expecting any crazy amount of money or anything, but I got off and then I was like, wow, I can't believe I really just made that DJing in my flip-flops in my house. <laughs> so my business cap kind of got on and I was like, let me start treating just the events I was doing in Atlanta or wherever. Let me start treating those, bringing that same energy to these IG lives instead of just doing stuff at random. And I started curating instead of just getting on and playing random playlists on my Instagram. I'm like, okay, let me do a big crit night. Let me do a, a UGK versus Outcast set or whatever the case may be. Get people excited about something and get their mind off coronavirus for a couple of hours. And the love that people are shown, um, you know, just through appreciation and also monetarily has been overwhelming to the point where, um, you know, I'm actually looking at like this being pretty viable mm-hmm. even after this is done because. Going back to the event side of things, you know, I talk with, you know, my, some of my colleagues, like I don't really see people going out in droves 
like they used to. Everyone's saying, oh, it's cabin fever. People can't wait to get out. But, you know, they say it takes 30 days to either make a break or have it and everything. You haven't been going to the club and, you know, drinking or whatever the case may be for, you know, going on 60 days. You know, you might be like, hey, I'm cool with just listening to the music at my house and, you know, relaxing. I might go out maybe once in a while, but I'm not going to be in the club every single weekend. So there's some DJs that are scared because they weren't paying attention to their online branding and things like that. They were so used to just getting booked, you know, all, all the time that they don't even know the first thing about having to make a flyer. I do all my own graphics too. Mm-hmm. You know, I make all the, I have to learn how to just be a one-stop shop because I hate waiting on people. I hate having to go back and forth through emails. No change this, no change that. Can't stand that. You know what I'm saying? So I figured out how to make my own graphics years ago. So now when it comes time to me to do an event or whatever the case may be, or an Instagram live event, I'm doing it and I don't have to wait on anybody. And I could tell my fans, hey, 10 o'clock, I'm going live and they show up. And, you know, they definitely have held me down tremendously through this whole through this whole deal that it's taken a lot of pressure off me as far as like where my next buck is going to come from, because, you know, it's given me time to also because I kind of look at this as a reset. I'm not really tripping. I actually kind of like it, to be honest with you, because it's given me time and most entrepreneurs time to kind of catch up with projects. And to devote energy, you don't have an excuse now. I got to go do this. I got to go do that. Because when you have the hustler mentality, you always got to be in the mix too as well. Ain't no mix to be in now. Right. So, you know, I actually have my um, my seasonings line coming out too. My Uncle Dip seasoning that I've been uh, working on for the past six months. I actually have, you know, the branding and everything, getting the trademark and the LLC done. I've been able to do all this during this pandemic. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I was still in that rat race trying to make, you know, everything happen. Because now that you see everyone's cooking at home now, you know, people trust me with the music and everything like that. I also showcase my culinary skills too as well. What can they get? What can they buy? Can they buy an apron? Can they buy some seasonings? Can they buy, uh, if I have a set of knives, whatever the case may be, I always think of it from that aspect rather than just, can I DJ a party? Absolutely. And I think it's, it's one thing that Demarcus and I have been, been speaking about this experience here it's not easy obviously but it's been the great equalizer in the sense that like we're all in the same situation we're just exposing a lot of people to like who's legit for real and who wasn't um but also it's an opportunity for brand expansion and and i think that the way that djs have really come to the forefront as the people who are helping us get through this i think is prime time for brand expansion specifically for those who dj and you know everybody sees D nice has been everywhere, um, obviously, but just like yourself, there's a ton of other DJs who've really been um, maximizing the time and leveraging the audience that they have and growing it to prepare for those those other things. So I'm I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with your seasoning line and the other things that you have going on. Uncle Dev's seasoning coming soon. I'm, I'm definitely uh, excited to release it and everything. And um, also Nova Quest TV, I've been working hard on that, which is a um, one-on-one DJ interviews that I do mm-hmm. on camera talking about everything, a lot of the things that we've talked about today. Mm-hmm. But, you know, DJs, we know how to talk to each other. Right. Our language. And we ask the questions that we want to ask, but, you know, people don't want to ask each other a lot of the times, you know, these deep questions. So, you know, I've done about 10 interviews so far between, you know, the last six months. Um, you know, I had a tour of the past three months to uh, at the end of last year. So, but I, I you know, I talked to, certain content creator just said, just get content, just get content, just get content. So I had all these videos, mm-hmm. but I only had so many times to upload them. Now I got all this time to edit them, upload them, everything. And it's just like, 
I'm glad I had this and I'm not just trying to start it now. Right. You know what I mean? So I always tell people, just plant these seeds because you never know when, you know, it's going to be your time to shine. And then the DJs, it's now our time to shine for real. It's just, I love seeing it, even though mm-hmm. get a little oversaturated every now and then. Mm-hmm. I love seeing that DJs are really at the forefront. I actually got Questlove on the screen over here behind me doing a uh, Q-tip tribute, you know, mm-hmm. just, just, you know, it's just really fun to be able to have this be regular life, just tune in to any DJ that you want to see and um, rock with them, you know? Absolutely. So you mentioned No Request TV. Is that different from your podcast? Oh, I call it podcast. Okay, you know, that's the same. It's mm-hmm. all, all in the same all in the same deal. Personally, I like seeing interviews instead yeah. of just listening. Um, even if I have it on YouTube, YouTube is, I don't watch regular TV. You know, people talk about, oh, Ozarks are like, I don't watch any of that stuff. I literally just like getting information. Mm-hmm. And I watch documentaries on YouTube. I watch new music. I watch news, everything. So I just got to a point that said, hey, let me put my own content in the mix too and see what happens. And, you know, I'm not going to be worrying about views and this, that, and the third. Let me just document my friends first. And then, um, you know, the word's going to spread. I'm going to get the merch and everything like that. Something I really have gotten a lot of support on. And it's something that's, like I said, when the money is not your motivating factor, you're able to do your best mm-hmm. because you're coming from a real genuine place. So even like y'all with this uh, with this podcast, you guys said you're 100 plus episodes in or how many episodes? Yeah, this will be episode 115, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so buck 15, that's not, you know, that's not for the money. That's because no. you actually really love doing this. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's definitely great to, uh, you know, see people do things for the love. And like you said, a lot of people getting exposed you know, if you don't really like, if you only DJ for the money, you're probably not going to be hopping on live. <laughs> right. But, you know what I'm saying? So a lot of people's intentions are getting exposed and a lot of these influencers are getting exposed because they don't, you know, who cares about anything influential right now? Because there's people, right. you know, losing their lives. There's people losing income. There's people losing a lot. And even with this whole live DJing thing, you know, it might be a little way for now. People might get tired of it. They might get start getting real out here by the end of this month. We never know. But, um, you know, the only thing is, like I said, just keep looking forward, try to forecast what's next and uh, stay ahead of the game. Absolutely. Um, do you still practice? I've been practicing a lot more since mm-hmm. uh, since all this happened because I've actually had time to just kind of stop, you know. Mm-hmm. So I probably DJed, I think last Saturday I DJed from like noon to like eight o'clock at night. And then this past Tuesday I DJed from like I did a live from like 10 to 1 a.m. And I DJed from like 2 a.m. to 8 in the morning. Wow. Just like nonstop. Just to get my mind off of things too. Mm-hmm. Um, just so I'm not looking at the news or scrolling or whatever the case may be. And it's just gotten me a lot closer back to music. A lot, you know, the reason why I started because I can't just DJ all the time. I got so much other stuff I'm working on. But this is giving me that time. Like I said, like I've talked to some other DJ homies and you don't want to be out here saying, oh, I love this quarantine. I love this pandemic because there's people actually getting messed up from this losing money, losing mm-hmm. their jobs, losing loved ones. So you don't really want to be out there saying that. But just to tap the time to reset and start over. I needed this. Right. And that's the same conversation that DeMarcus and I have, have been having. Um, I haven't sat still this long ever, like in my adult life at all. Um, so I, I feel like while there is a 24 hour news cycle, right, that is, is not good, um, and can really affect your psyche if you let it. And I'm concerned for people that I know that this is impacted, obviously, um, on the other side of that, the ability to, to clear my head and get a clear vision about what I want this decade to look like, um, it, it has been invaluable. 
um, this time to to really sit still and just be and hone and figure out what I'm really invested in moving forward um, beyond 2020. So I'm I'm in total agreement there. Um, but there's an important question that I have to ask you before I let you get get out of here. Well, it's actually two questions. First, you know this versus battle has been the big thing uh, that a lot of us are into. One that was talked about quite a bit was the Lil John versus T Pain uh, battle. Who do you think took that? Well, Lil John all day because the thing with T Pain is you know no one's really listening to full T Pain projects like that. Mm-hmm. T Pain is featured on a lot of great songs, and even if you hear the songs that he played, "Good Life" that's Kanye's song. Um, I'm so hood. That's DJ Khaled's song. You know, granted, yeah, he's a big part of those songs and everything like that. Lil John, he didn't need. He he was just doing stuff with the Lil John and Eastside Boys. That was it. <laughs> you know, and it was just like he was making these anthems and the Yang Twins, like artists that weren't either that were on his level or a little bit below. He wasn't doing stuff with Jay Z and this person and that person. Like Lil John was like a joke for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And um, you know, Lil John is just a it's just an amazing producer and a lot of stuff people... I'm glad he played um, a lot of the deeper cuts because a lot of people don't know a lot of the stuff he's produced. And, you know, that's, that's ATL, you know? Come on now. Yeah, and I, and for me, even talking to my friends, we all thought it was pretty obvious that he took it. But then I, I saw some chatter online and people were really arguing about it. Like, it, it wasn't a, a no-doubt situation. I thought it was, but... And one thing I, one thing I didn't like is that T-Pain... Because if, if you've ever toured before, you know... Or even if you've been to a concert, you know how the songs sound in a concert format where it's kind of like a live... The live stems, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And... Pain was playing that, yes. which is like this beefed up, beautiful, polished version of these, you know, songs. While John is just playing the straight DJ cuts, the, right. the, the, the edits, the radio edits, the club mixes and stuff. So it's like T Pain did all this extra stuff, and still to me, it was just like, no, you're not, you're not messing with John. And the only people that caught that are like real music heads. Oh, people yeah. who are in, like, I, I go to a lot of live shows and I know a ton of musicians. I used to be in entertainment law, so I know the whole live stem world, what that looks like, the instrumentation, and people who are obviously DJs and tour and all that other stuff. But a lot of people didn't realize that that was happening. That these oh. are the radio versions of these songs that you've heard previously. Exactly. So I went to the comments, like, oh my God, this, I've never heard this version before, <laughs> whatever the case. It's like he's purposely doing this because he's doing a, he's like he's doing a live show for you right now. Right. Like, no, I was like, nah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So there's, there's another big battle happening tonight. RZA versus DJ Premier. By the time this episode comes out, it will have occurred. So so who you got? Well, it's not about who I got. It's about who's going to win. Mm-hmm. DJ, DJ Premier's got RZA just because Premier has an actual catalog with a whole plethora of artists. If you were a, a rapper in the 90s, whether you were Jay-Z, Nas, Biggie, I mean, come on. Like, you were... You were going to D and D studios and rocking with Premier, you know. Um, now RZA, of course, I don't take anything from RZA, but his sound was so, you know, locked in with that Wu Tang, like it's synonymous with Wu Tang. Even though DJ Premier is synonymous with Gangstar, but Pre- Premier has songs with Christina Aguilera. You know what I'm saying? Like he's really like people go out of their way to rock with from Premier. You know, RZA on the other hand, like yeah, he has the obscure stuff and everything like that. You know, the Wu Tang is very you know, don't get it twisted, very important pillar of hip-hop um, is Wu-Tang. But when it comes to just, you know, the head knocking, if we're going to talk about this type, because this is a good battle. I didn't think that Scott Storch, uh, any fresh battle was like, was a bit you know, it's like a heavyweight and a middleweight. Like, it just didn't really make any sense. To, but this right here, you know, even though Premier is from Texas, New York's based sounds, boom-bap sounds, a boom-bap battle, 
Premier's got him. Okay. All right. I mean, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm in agreement there, um, but I'm very excited to, to hear this later. So tell people where they can find you online. Right now, you can find me super online everywhere because that's really all there is to do. But no, D-B-I-C-A-T-L, which is D-I-B-I-A-S-E-A-T-L. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, DJ D-B-I-C. Um, and also check out No Request TV. Look up No Request TV on YouTube. It's also in the link in my bio on my Instagram. And I uh, just, just made my TikTok, my first TikTok yesterday. Oh, man. You got uh, a TikTok wave? <laughs> I'm not dancing, though. I'm cooking on there, though. Okay, okay. okay. I'm cooking on there because I put up one video um, a couple of weeks ago of, of just me just making, I think it was some barbecue chicken in the oven, char charbroiled barbecue chicken. And the comments were like, oh, my God, please make more of these because everyone's having to cook at home now. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. You know, I, I took the same technology that I was using to stream myself DJing. I said, okay, let me take the setup and put it over here in the kitchen. And... Uh, I was like, okay, well, TikTok is actually a really great <laughs> video editor. It's like real simple. It's clean. You can make stuff look great and fun and, you know, real quick and stuff like that. So I'm like, I'm going to get on TikTok. It's the, it's the hottest thing going right now. And, and it, if you try to resist change, you're going to get left behind. That's just one thing that you have to learn. And uh, so I tried it out. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to use this. But I'm going to use it my way. I'm not going to be up here dancing or switching clothes with uh, a girl or whatever the case may be, you know. Not doing none of that. I'm just gonna be cooking. So find me at Uncle Dibs on TikTok so you can learn how to cook. All right, real man, yes. cook. All right. That now I agree with that for sure. Listen, my calorie intake is already up, so I oh, don't yeah. know if I can watch too many of these videos because then I'm just hungry, right? <laughs> but but I'm gonna try to check you out. Do some push-ups after you eat them. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate you taking some time out to to speak with us and ushering us as a show into this new era of virtual inter, uh, interviews over the web. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed this, and I'll be locked in tonight. And I'll be checking you out because my girlfriends and I have been having like dance parties every night with the various DJs. So I'll be listening in as well as you go live there. Excellent. I had a great time. This is definitely one of the best interviews. I'm being an interviewer myself. I know good between the bad, and when people actually do research and everything. So great question. You guys did a great job and uh, glad to be part of your digital uh, debut. I appreciate that. And to our listeners, make sure you check out DJ DiBiase on his DJing side, but also his Uncle Dibs, who's getting his seasoning going and cooking and showing you those good meals that he's making while we're all stuck at home. Support, support, support. We have to support the art that we're all taking in during this time while we're here. You're not buying concert tickets. You're not going out to lounges, but you're sitting at home on your computer, on IG, on YouTube. So drop your cash up as well. Let's go yeah. there. So um dollar sign dibs. All right, dollar sign dibs. You got it. Make sure you support. Yeah, be busy. Those of us, those who are out there keeping us sane during this quarantine, during this shelter in place, check him out, follow him online. Make sure you like, share, subscribe to this podcast. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.